Welcome back. This is it, season three. <laughs> I didn't know if I should go into the welcome back Cotter theme. I didn't or know not. if you were welcoming me back or the listeners. I'm welcoming myself back. Okay. I've been uh, laid up for a little while. Laid hence up. the delay in season three, but here we are, and I couldn't be happier to be back aboard. Mm, especially when you're getting texts or posts from Bill Labonte. Yes, I did. He and I are close again. <laughs> I mean, now. Uh, so that, yeah, that was cool. That was a highlight of my day, but we'll get to some other highlights quickly. But yeah. welcome back, everyone, to the Yacht Rock podcast, Out of the Main. New and improved. The only Yacht Rock podcast that you and I record. That's true. Yep. In this basement. That's true. So, um, well, let's, we're going to, um, remember Bye Bye Miss American Pie? Oh, yeah. The day the music died? Yes. Uh, yes. We're going to get to that today. I know. Because the music didn't die, which is what we found out in this whole podcast journey of ours. Yeah. Um, but 1984 came along, and then something changed in 1985, and that was the day... The yacht sank. Yep. The day the yacht sank. We're going to look at that and probably examine why, see if we can uh, draw any conclusions. I think I may yeah. have found the canary in the coal mine, Ooh, we'll come back to. More alliteration. Yes. Aren't you happy? Yes. All right, but... We've got some announcements to make yes. coming back from our layoff. Um, one is we have a new feature. Yes. Is, is this in the lightning round or before the lightning round? We're going to do this like right at the top of the lightning round now. Okay. And this is called the Supersonic Smash-Up. And it's all about bragging rights, people. Yes. All about bragging rights. Well, we've, I, I was considering offering an actual prize for our first winner. Oh, yes. all right. So coming we'll get to that. Wallet. But Refresh uh, people's memories if they were listening to FM radio in the 70s. Yeah, the radio stations would do that thing where they would play tiny little clips of four, five, six songs in a row, and callers had to call in to guess if they knew which, recognized which songs they were, and whoever got it right first would lo- win like tickets to a show or something like yeah. that. So we have our version of that that yep. we're launching in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got an exciting slate of guests coming up. Yeah, we do. We're, we, You know, we're kind of... We decided we're going to move a little closer to the perimeter at times. We're going to dangle our feet off the boat a little bit. True. And maybe uh, get into some other West Coast stuff, but still be centered around Yacht Rock. And we've got, man, did we come up with some bookings while we were off? I mean, the biggest of the big being we've got Jay Graydon coming up. Wow. Isn't that uh, which amazing? Is next week. In, I don't know if I'll sleep between now and then. I don't know either. I mean, but, we got uh, Peter Freestet has agreed to come on the show. Oh, so cool. Guitar extraordinaire. Another one of my pet pals, uh, sorry, pen pals, not mm, pet pals. Pet peeves. Uh, out of the blue, I started getting messages from Tommy Taylor after we did the Christopher Cross album focus. That's right. Sort of correcting the record on some of the things that either we didn't know or yeah. we guessed or we wondered about, including how uh, he and Eric Johnson got to know each other. Yep. So he said, he started sending me some updates, and I said, well, let's get you on the podcast and you can. Yeah, and we the openly wondered about the drum part on sailing because it's a little unorthodox, and he went through the whole story how that developed. That's a great one. So. Very. It yep. includes Picaro. It does include Jeff Crazy. So he's coming up, right. uh, got him booked. Um, feels right. The moonlight does. Yes. Yes. We're waiting to hear back on confirmation for an actual date. But yeah, Bruce uh, Bruce Blackman has agreed to be on the show. He's, He's got Starbucks tons fan. of stories to tell. Yep. And he's even written a book, which is out. So that's worth looking up. And as you might expect, he's joined the, um, he's something of a quipster. Oh, yeah. Which you would get from his music, I think. Yes. And uh, But I've, I've kind of experienced that now that he's joined the Yacht Rock Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, Do we leave anyone out? I know we've got some other ones kind of brewing. Well, we, uh, I know we're talking about having Tris and Bowden back. Yep. Dane Donahue is coming back. Uh, Dane has yep. some more stories to tell us. Tris is going to be with us for a walkthrough of Kenny Loggins' High Adventure album. 
crazy. Yeah. That'll be cool. Oh, man. He was an awesome guest. So if you yep. haven't heard that episode from last season, go check that one yep. out. It's probably one of my favorite to listen back to. Mm. So, uh, and who knows what else. So, without further ado... The day the yacht sank. The day the yacht sank. It so, started with, yeah, you know, I, when I, we first got into this, I thought, you know, the absurdity of saying, you know, the Yacht Rock era is 1976 to 1984. And I just kind of, you know, joked, oh, it's not like, you know, January 1st, 1985, <laughs> suddenly it stopped. Well, oh, the more really? and more I look at it, it kind of did. I mean, 84 is not exactly chock full, but there was still enough worthwhile stuff oh, there. Yeah. But... The more I looked at it, the more I realized it is a stronger cutoff than you pr- probably would have realized. So that got me thinking, why? Yep. And you and I started bandying about the reasons why that might be and investigating it, and uh, hence this episode. Yep. So we're going to talk about if we can make any conclusions as to why. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting, though, I thought about it is how that eventually has gotten undone over the years. Like, the dying has gotten undone. So, Yacht Rock's like a zombie genre that, what, about 2005 it was invented, and then by 2010, I think it starts becoming sort of a a cult. Yeah. And now we are in 2022, and it feels like it's coming back into the mainstream again, even. Yeah. So, well, one of the most interesting things that you brought up, I think it was last season, was this list of the top 100 songs of 1985. Right. Do you have that in front of you? Yes. Okay. Um, because I think this will show, this will demonstrate uh, that there is some veracity in right, this. You want to go through that now? Yeah. All let's right. Do let, that. Me, uh, let me. Because I want to see what was on the other side, you know, when the. the... All right. Because I'm going to send you now two links. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we'd look at the very last chart, the very uh, end of December of 1984. Kind of see what we see. This is Billboard's, what, top 40? Top, top 100. Yeah, I think it goes 100. We don't necessarily have to go through all of them. Um, yeah, I got but, points. I mean, it's decidedly not yacht, but I think there's a, a few that kind of sneak in there, don't you think? This I mean, is 84? This is the end of 84. And yeah. I'm trying to, just so people know, number one is Like a Virgin by Madonna. Yeah. Two is Wild Boys by Duran Duran. Third, I'm not going to go through the whole list, obviously, but Out of Touch by Dura Hall and John Oates. That gives you a sense of context, right? Because there's no way, I know Hall and Oates gets debated on right. off the boat. But, but certainly no not way. that era. No. Of, no. no. Even though I love that yeah. record, the whole album. I'm trying to go down here. The, the, in my first instance of Yacht Rock here. Maybe it's not Yacht Rock, but Shaka no. Khan checks in at seven with I Feel For You. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want well, all I need, Jack uh, Wagner, Wagner, is not Yacht, but it is getting closer to the getting sound. Closer. It's a West Coasty thing for sure. Now, Chicago's era, their first song here is You're Their Inspiration. Yes, that's 15. from 17, Foster. You know? yep, but that's not really Yachty. Maybe Penny Lover, it's not Yachty, but again, getting closer. You know, Lionel Richie. I know the Easy Lover with uh, Philip Bailey and Phil Collins is certified. I think they were out of their minds that day. But, <laughs> is it really certified? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just on the serious Kind of high, too, I guess. Mm, Lover Boy by Billy Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Foolish Toto's Heart. On, oh, Foolish Heart. There you go. 39. Again, I don't. I think they were nuts when they certified that one, too. But I don't, but um, I know. We, Stranger in Town from Toto. So, again, not a decidedly not yacht song from Toto. Wow. Have we found anything that we would say, oh my God, there's no question that's yacht? This is 1984, nope. so we're nope. still in the year. But very, very, very end. Caribbean Queen yep. is on 62. Hmm. So not much. Um, Missing You, Diana Ross still has some of the timbre. That's all the way down at 56. It still has a lot of the timbre of Yacht Rock, even though it's a ballad. But so look- some of those hints were still surviving. Caribbean Queen, some people mistake for being yacht, is there. 
Look what's starting mm. to sneak in, though. This is number 71, because I want to come back to this. Big in Japan by Alphaville. Yeah. So I'll put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. And then Shalimar with Amnesia. And Rick then D's, eat my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> naughty, naughty, John oh, Parr. Yeah. All right, so All that's... Right, that's enough of that. Let's yeah. go look at 1985. Okay. But it's hard to find yacht in the Hot 100 from 1984. At least that's the December Hot 100. Okay, we got 1985. This is the very first chart. We're in uh, January of 1985. And McCartney and uh, Michael Jackson are number one with Say, Say, Say. How do you like mm-hmm. that? But yeah, we still got Hall & Oates and Duran Duran, a lot of the carryover and stuff. But uh, whew, all night long, Lana Richie, I believe that's certified. Okay, where's that? Oh, number 10. That's at number 10. Yep. Uh, Running with the night, 15. But it's all Lionel Richie. The only one <laughs> keeping us kind of close. Yeah. Joanna Cool and the gang. Hasn't that been certified? What about the curly shuffle by the by the jump in the saddle band? Is I would that give guy? that 98, 99 on scale. <laughs> <laughs> curly shuffle. Think of Laura. So there's still lingering sound, Christopher Cross. That's from, uh, what, his second album, right? Yep. yep. I'm actually seeing more in 85 than I did in 84, so stay with me tonight. I know it's not Yachty. It's more... Yeah, in reality, they're only a week apart, these yeah, two that's uh, true. charts. So. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be there. I believe that one is certified. Yep. It's at 45. But uh, going back to what I had you put a pin in earlier, okay. in a big country, yep. by big country. Uh, you have to say it that way, by the way. In Politics a big country. and dancing, reflex. Yep. Is, uh, you know, it gets into that Alphaville area you were talking about. Yes. So why am we putting a pin in that? Are we going to well, hold so that pin this is, even for Well, I think longer? one of the things that happened. So we can start maybe going into what happened around this time. Okay. And I don't think it started in 84 or 85, but I think you're starting to see more and more of the what they called back then the second British invasion. Definitely. So the echo to when the Stones, Who, and Beatles came over and took over pop music, that started to really, at least in the quote-unquote alternative circles, that whole new wave thing was happening. The new wave synth pop thing. In, yes, for sure. I think it's a combination of the technology, so the synth part of that, yep. but also that British sound was like taking America by storm. It was, again. At least for me, too. Yep. You know? So now I'm... For context, I'm 15 years old in 1985, or going to be anyway. And so this is, for me, and I, that's why I want to get your perspective, though. For me, I didn't really start paying attention or choosing what I was listening to until I was probably 13 or 14. So mm-hmm. that's 83, 84. And by that time, I'm just blown away by Michael Jackson and all this new pop music and right. then the British Invasion. Where were you? And you're, you're probably hating life at this point. Cause no, no, I was still... Um uh, up until about this is about the time where I started to see the decline to me in music. I always said that the 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 80s people refer to 80s music and the greatness of 80s music, but really what you're talking about is the first 4 maybe 5 years because after 85 it decidedly goes downhill. Mm-hmm. And we start getting into some really and, and some of this stuff is what we're going to talk about here. I mean, if you were to put up the question, and I've seen this before in yacht rock circles, you put up the question about what we're just asking now, why did yacht rock die or why did the sound change or what's the difference between why is it, you know, post eighty four? And the answer in a more global sense is always the word digital. Mm-hmm. Which means a lot of different Things The digital in music encompasses a lot of different things. But the overall overarching thing is digital versus analog. Yep. The pendulum of what is cool sonically is constantly in motion. So you go through this period where, you know, big, warm, fat, low-pitched snare drums sound cool. And that's all the thing. And then you hear so much of it and somebody comes out with a real tight 
snary thing. And you're like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then people start imitating that. And gradually you move into like the later 80s and later 90s where things were much tighter snare drum, for example. Yep. And mm-hmm. then just constantly, you're always seeing artists for a while, they'll invest themselves into what the hot sound is. And then there's always going to be a group of them looking to do the next thing. And they start the, the pendulum moving away into a new area. And digital, you know, I had this, I have this long running theory that you can trace the creativity of music directly tied to the advancement of technology. Mm-hmm. Meaning, and I'm talking about popular music as we know it today. I'm not talking about going all the way back to classical and things like that. Right. Um, as new things came out, whether it be- was the electric guitar or amplification, or then there became echo boxes and four-track recording and reverb, and then there was eight-track recording and 16. Every time something new was developed, synthesizers, people would experiment with what they could do, and it would spark a new level of creativity and a new sonic picture that you could create. We eventually reached a part, a point where technology no longer was bringing us like new sounds and new material, like in the, you know, the, I'm thinking of the Pro Tools area, and most of the advancements were being made in how quickly you could make something or how precisely you could make something. We weren't getting new stuff mm, you right. know you're re- you, you're recording at a, maybe a higher fidelity or you could do it faster you could edit it faster all these things made it easier to make but they weren't necessarily bringing in new sounds you had never heard before like the invention of a synthesizer right you know yeah and the digital drums yeah right and as a result i think that's why we don't see nearly as much creativity now because there isn't that new sound that people are like oh my gosh what is that it's very rare to hear something like you you haven't heard before it feels like in back then this whole digitalization it would have been nearly impossible to resist the urge to at least experiment with this stuff right i mean that's what artists do i'll give you an example Mm -hmm. uh because of the whole jay graden interview coming yes um i've been immersing myself in as much of his catalog as I can, production, playing, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you had me listen to a string of El Jarreau records that right. began in 81 with Breaking Away, mm-hmm. then Jarreau in 83, yep. and High Crime in 84. Yep. 84 is very digital record. Still Jay Graydon, though. But when I listened to Jay Graydon in 93, he's back to making Yacht Rock zones. But in 84, he's embracing all of this new technology, and he's experimenting with digital you know, hand claps and yep. sequencers and He's all. He's working for a label still as a producer at this point and in, in chasing after hits for his artists. Exactly. You know. So how could you resist this? Oh my God! I got the sequencer in this drum machine in this new sound. It'd be impossible. Yeah, and in in all of that, I mean, I've got a whole list of them here. The things that that became available, and while they're useful tools and they ha- they can do great things. Within the context of Yacht Rock and the things that we've outlined in the past that make Yacht Rock different, mm-hmm. you could see how they were going to bring about the downfall of Yacht Rock. And now we said, you know, digital, even just digital synthesizers versus analog, when you start getting into that FM synthesis, which is that DX7 sound, that DX7 electric piano, when that came out, that was all the rage. <laughs> and everybody said, I don't want my roads anymore. I want this. Yeah. And so roads fatigue. People were so tired of hearing the roads. And then they got this new thing. Mm-hmm. The roads, which is an essential building block of Yacht Rock, was suddenly cast aside. Nobody wanted them anymore.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, there were a whole new artists going back to the British invasion that were embracing sounds that weren't didn't even sound real. Like Depeche Mode wasn't trying to right. sound like a piano. Uh, well, I'm even just talking about. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm talking about the going back to your Jay Graydon thing. Yeah. Even somebody who lived off of the E Roads, which he's going to talk about, yep. went and started using DX7 on these Algero records. Correct. Yeah. You know. Yep. Um, but digital in general can also be like not just digital synths and not even just digital recording, mm-hmm. but you know digital reverbs. You're able to create these reverb sounds that are either longer or brighter or sharper than before, you know, and that can get harsh on the ears. Um, we have digital drum machines and things, and gradually the evolution of the drum machine, the sounds got harsher and got brighter. You know, even just digital recording allows everything to be so much brighter because when you're recording on analog tape, tape has a thing called hiss. Mm-hmm. When you record on tape, there's always going to be a certain level of tape hiss that is a byproduct of recording to tape. If you take something that has hiss on it and try to brighten it up, you're bringing the hiss way up, too. Right. So you tried not to brighten unless you absolutely had to. Mm-hmm. You also tried to record as loud to tape as you could without distorting it. Mm-hmm. Thereby, the louder you recorded, then that kind of pushes the level of the hiss downward. Right? Higher signal-to-noise ratio. Right. When we got into digital, you no longer had to worry about hiss basically Mm -hmm. so that allowed people to eq things a lot brighter than they had before you hear that in the mid to late 80s you didn't have to worry about recording loud to tape which meant you could have sounds that were really hard on attack you know whereas like when you were recording to tape you tried to reduce sounds that had real hard attack you tried to control those hard attacks like a snare drum or whatever so that they wouldn't blow out the tape or have to be recorded so low to compensate for that heart attack. <laughs> I, you know? I just got to interject real quick because yeah. as you're saying all this, I'm looking at the chart and I'm seeing the two naughty naughty on. Yeah, like how bright and loud is that? It is. <laughs> but when digital, you didn't have to worry about taming that attack, which is right. often called a transient. You could just record it with that transient because you weren't worried about taming it for the sake of saving hiss later. So now all your tracks have a lot more harsh attack to them by nature of digital recording is able to capture that, you know, without having to be tamed or, you know, being crunched onto tape. So all of these things lead to this whole sonic scape of being a lot more attack heavy, a lot brighter. And none of those things really work well in a yacht rock environment. Right. Yep. So sonically everything's, that's where it's sonically things had to change. One thing I wanted to just spend a minute on is I've, really been enthralled with over the years there's always this one faction of of musicdom who is trying to keep alive what you would call rock and roll mm-hmm. meaning organic instrumentation and you see it throughout the the years and in this era when i think okay who was trying to keep rock and roll alive it's the hair bands yeah and so now 
rock and roll takes on a whole new life and it's all about glam it's all about appearance it's all about being bombastic mm-hmm. um all the stuff we said about creating space and just you know not overplaying it was never true in heavy metal right like, it was look at me look at me look at me how loud can we make every single instrument yeah and then it was and you know me i <laughs> i'm a I call it the cock rock era, right? Yes. I'm a sucker for a good cock rock power ballad. Ballad, yeah. Oh, I just love them so much. And they were setting up these awesome guitar solos, right? I think a lot of times they were trying to emulate the stars that we're talking about in the yacht rock era and trying to outdo the Jay Graydens of the world and Steve Lukather's and not yacht. But, yeah, no, you know, I get what you're saying. But it's yeah. like, all right, we need a guitar hero on the front of our label. We need a, a, a sex symbol in front of the mic. Yeah, and this guys is, like Steve Vai and Satriani or even like an Ingve Malmsteen came along. It could absolutely. just blaze. C.C. DeVille and Poison. Yeah. It's like everyone had to have one. Yeah. So, um, but you look at, if that was the sole remnant of what I would call rock and roll, the 70s had all kinds of different threads. Yeah. But like, I don't know what else, who was else was really playing rock and roll in the 80s, but it was the metal bands and... Well, there was a, the the second generation of Van Halen, but that was awfully close to what you're talking about too. It wasn't right. that far off from the hair band, so. right? And then, of course, after that, I think grunge took over, yeah. and then garage rock took over after that, and then whatever corn is took. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, but anyway, so my point of that is, is that rock and roll even was going to change, even if you were going to stick to non digital, yeah, instrumentation. It was going to be a totally Well, you were talking sound. about the density of, of those mixes and how much there was. And that, that's one of the other things that I had written down is the gear in general became less expensive. Mm. You know, you could have multiple reverb units in a studio now that they were digital. In the past, you had to have a room that you put a microphone and speakers in and artificially created a space. Well, how many rooms, big rooms can you have or big plates you can have buried in the basement somewhere for creating reverb? But now I can buy seven eight, nine of these uh, reverb units, and now I've got more reverb units to play with. Mm-hmm. I've got, I've gone from, at one point, maybe 16 tracks to 24, linking multiple 24-track machines together. You know, you're getting into the 100-track area. Well, what are you going to do with all this gear and all these tracks? You're going to fill it up. You're going to layer it. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, and that leads you away from one of the other essential aspects of Yacht Rock, which is space mm-hmm. and mix clarity, not necessarily bigness, but clarity. You wanted to hear the detail of what everybody was playing. You weren't trying to create this otherworldly large sonic space, which is what the 80s became about. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I think across the board, too, I'm thinking of like the, the British Invasion stuff, the uh, hair band stuff, everything. Pop music, it was a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the Buggles for a moment? Yeah, you're kind of, I think you're moving into an area. I want to get back on real quick on your Depeche Mode thing because I yes. didn't mean to gloss over that because I did have a note like that, that the other thing that was happening gear-wise were these sampling mm. workstations where you could record a sound in and then assign it across the keyboard and just play it across the keyboard, you know, whether it was a dog barking or you mm. could sample a violin or whatever. And these things allowed you to do stuff sonically that you could never do before. You could, and I think we're, we found that Artists took on what they could do from a sonic perspective, started to take over their time and their mental energy as opposed to, quote, writing songs. Mm. You know, key changes and bridges and all that stuff. You became so many of these artists, you know, Duran Duran kind of got into that. Yep. You know, when you think of a song like Wild Boys or whatever, it's all about like the I don't sound think of a song like more that. More anything like that. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like Mode is a good example. New Order, you know, all these guys were so much into sonic creation and songwriting was very secondary yeah 
Well, and in, just to piggyback off that, too, is because I think there were obviously some good songs from that era, too, but the expressed intent was to not sound like an instrument, right? right. It was like uh, exactly Alphaville. It, it, yeah. You want to sound like it's completely digital, yep. completely processed, and that's Depeche Mode sound. You said New Order. You could go on and on and on. Pet Shop Boys, all of those Brit Rock yeah. bands. When these things came out, people didn't understand what to do with them, so it became, well, what if I did this? <laughs> and it just all kinds of crazy stuff happened. And it, it, it defined its a new sound, but it, it wasn't it wasn't about chord changes and melody and you know lyrics about fools. No, not about <laughs> fools, and not like let's how do we bring some jazz elements into no, this, right? No. So, um, it, just to be fully you know transparent, I loved the music that came out. So uh, here I am, oh, fourteen, not, fifteen, yeah, this isn't knocking it. This I'm is like this. I've analog. never heard anything like this. This yeah. is amazing. Even going back to the cheesy bass and you are. Uh, but yeah. uh, Rich, yeah. I'm like that sound is awesome. Yeah. That guttural fake sound. So, so what um, about the Buggles? Talk, talk to me about the so Buggles. The Buggles are are prophets. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so the first video ever played on MTV was right. video but, killed the radio star. Yeah. Video definitely, I think, killed the yacht rock star because I think it became clear around eighty two, eighty three, eighty four that the product was no longer essential. Solely the music, the product was the show, the movie, the mm-hmm. three and a half minute movie you could create to the point where eventually we're making 10 minute movies and putting a song in the middle of it, yeah. like the Thriller video. Yeah, and uh, David Bowie's uh, Blue Jean. Yep. Yeah. And I think labels reemphasized, you know, the, the brilliance of the music and the songwriting and the, the performances in favor of, we got a circus show to yeah. sell. Right. right, and I'm even thinking bands that I like, like Flock of Seagulls. Their whole stick was to, hey, look at this crazy hair. Right, right. it's yep. like, it's a video. Back yep. to that, I want to get your thoughts on this. Is video totally de-emphasized the need for brilliance? Music. <laughs> well, somebody posted something once, a meme that made me laugh. It sounds so absurd at first, but when you think about it, it gets it's exactly what you're saying. I want and the meme said, I want to go back to nineteen seventy-eight when it was okay for ugly people to make music. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thrived in that era. I know. <laughs> uh, well, it's true. It's like I mean, you would see these pictures, you'd see these people on the liner notes, and then if you went to go see them live, you'd see them. But prior to MTV, we had no access really to what these people even looked like, nor did we really care. No, and they weren't being put on record because of their look you know the look thing was very secondary at least for a while yeah but obviously by the mtv era the look became everything which goes back to the metal bands right it's all this glam and gender bending and all this stuff it's like yeah. look at the show we could put on right. all the music videos remember were these fake concerts with you know, flash pots going off yeah. everywhere yeah <laughs> or they were telling these long you know drawn out stories and you know that's what was selling like your greg kin video <laughs> the zombie apocalypse <laughs> hey that somehow made my uh yacht rock halloween <laughs> mix only because of that it's, it's not video. yacht rock no. and it's not halloween but it's no. on there um and so yes so did video i mean like an artist this will sound so silly and whatever but does an artist like madonna make it in 1980 79 when there's no videos hmm. that first album was awfully good musically and i think it, it was, was before, but would but they have yeah, created a product around someone like her is my oh, point gosh. right no, probably not. You're right. And then once it, you I realize there's a formula there, you get your Whitney Houston's, you get, you know, it's all Michael Jackson. Was, mm-hmm. I, he's, by the way, we're getting to the canary in the coal mine. Okay. But it's like, it, I, to me, I see this shift in there. Let's create a product that we could sell who happens to have some music attached to him or her. The music has to be good. Like, yeah. great, Borderline's a 
good song, I guess, but it's not sophisticated or it's not, you know. Yeah, it hadn't gotten into full velocity at that point. It was starting. I think we are certainly there now mm-hmm. where yeah. we're exactly I need to have a product and I need to have a look and, and all that stuff. And then, you know, we'll, we'll get Max Martin to fill in the music later. <laughs> well, Steve Lukather calls it all you need is a celebrity and a laptop. Yeah, truth. Uh, I think that started in mid 80s here. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Absolutely. Do you want my canary in the coal mine yeah, theory? Yeah. All right. So I was doing some research and doing some thinking about where did it all go wrong? <laughs> and I had <laughs> where, to, did it, where did we go so wrong? <laughs> I had to start with where did we, when's the last time I saw it go so right? And okay. so for whatever reason, not for whatever reason, it's pretty obvious. I picked one of, one of the most iconic albums of all time that uh-huh. maybe you wouldn't have thought of as Yacht Rock, but it kind of is is the Michael Jackson Thriller album. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was recorded in 83. I think it came out in November 1983. Okay. Um, so it was doing most of its work in 1984 in terms of marketing yeah, and sales. It had sales. a couple of early pre-singles. I yeah. know The Girl Is Mine came out well ahead of the album, but it's because still your point. Because they collaborated with on... McCartney. Uh, did they collaborate at the same time with um, Say Say Say? Probably. Oh, the, the yeah. One probably fed the other, yeah. So, um, which by the way, the wiki page on the Thriller album is hot trash because, and I am going to reference it, but Ooh. it says it, uh, it only featured one celebrity guest, <laughs> Paul McCartney. So, <laughs> now, well, we you forgot can, about Vincent Price. Well, Vincent Price, but yeah. even if you wanted to dismiss Steve Picaro, Steve Lukather, right. Jeff Picaro as not guests, right. what about Eddie Van Halen? Like, oh, he that's was right, the yeah. guitar player of the era, but anyways. Dugu Chancellor on drums. Yes. I mean, come on. But so you had Quincy no. <laughs> producing and bringing in all of his buddies yeah. to make great, write great songs, make good music. So we mentioned, which a lot of that eventually led us to "We Are the World," which is one of the biggest accomplishments <laughs> of the eighties. Yes, but go ahead. Yeah. It's a different so, but thing. if you listen to that record again, it's not like I wouldn't say, "Oh, here, listen to this yacht rock record." But no. there's lots of elements, right? All the elements are there all over the place. Whether it sounds yachty to your ears is a different question. And there were still obviously this is Quincy Jones, one of the best producers in the world in history, right? Still, he, he's bringing in these elements because he knows he, he needs some crossover appeal so it needs to have some elements of jazz some pop some rock maybe um in this brilliant records made okay and what happened in the follow-up album think so think about how that album sounded Mm -hmm. then think of the follow-up album came in 87 and that was bad bad it was bad Um, in my opinion i didn't like it much i didn't well sonically it's completely different it's got all this digital i mean it actually features like nathan east is in there Mm. i can't even hear him and it's it does have i looked up the personnel it's got some yachty personnel in it like um fiddling games is doing but the difference in sound right it's like here's the canary in the coal mine so again, going back to '84 is when they're doing most of the promotion. I th- I'm guessing that the video for Thriller came out like right before Halloween in '84. That's kind of my recollection. Yep. But you're seeing a star get born around this package, this personality who can not only sing, the music's pretty darn good, mm-hmm. but he could dance, he could choreograph, right. and we can make movies about him. Right. And he happens to be a nice, attractive-looking celebrity. Right. As I'm doing my research. I find this little tidbit, which was uh, Quincy Adams became increasingly frustrated. Quincy, Quincy Jones. John Quincy, John Quincy Jones. <laughs> Quincy Jones <laughs> became increasingly frustrated with Michael Jackson during the recording sessions because all he wanted to do was practice his dance routines. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. The canary in the coal mine right there was Michael Jackson in the studio recording, thinking more about how does this play on stage? Yeah, how does it play in studio? And I think that's where mm. the beginning of the end happens. If that's all true, which have you heard, you know, 
We, we, we only hear this stuff second and third hand. But absolutely. Right there at the moment of making the record, you're more concerned with what, what are the dance moves going to yep. be. That is a fundamental shift, you know, a paradigm shift in, the, in your thinking as a musician. Right. You're thinking as a stage act now. And, I, and then this bad album, I didn't realize it. Remember some of the videos, Smooth Cribble and all yeah. that was yeah. all part of a, like a 30 minute movie. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. again, going back to let's create this package. Let's tell a story. The music is needs to be okay. It needs to be decent, but like we don't need to overemphasize the songwriting or the sophistication or, you know, be laborious about the parts. It doesn't sound like that's how that album no. was recorded, even though it was the uh, Quincy Jones. Okay, go back go back and listen to that mix of Smooth Criminal, though. That is one of the harshest things on your ears. It's a killer mm. riff, and it's an okay average song, but the mix, like, God, <laughs> it just rips your eardrums apart. I mean, it doesn't matter what level of tinnitus you got. It's cutting through. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, well, now I can listen to it. It wouldn't hurt at all. Cause well, I had a quick deaf. exercise I wanted to run through here. Okay. As before we get to... Um, it, it, Our new feature? Yes, before we get to that. I compiled a short list of, of song samples here. Okay. And if to kind of illustrate what we were talking about, I said, well, let, let's find a couple of um, mainstays of the Yacht Rock West Coast era and look what they did prior to 1984, whatever their last album was. And then their first album, post-1984, and hear the sonic change. Okay. You already referenced one. So, you know, you go from Al Jarreau's Morning. To the High Crime album. And, you know, here's Sticky Wicket. It sounds like Prince. Yeah, and that was one of the notes I had that we actually didn't get to, is that the Minneapolis sound, the Prince sound, was starting yeah. to take over. Again, a sound that's built on groove and sort of modal area where you're just kind of grooving over a, a, you know, a certain chord area, but you're not having chord changes and all that stuff. Right. You're not you know, doing all this sophisticated stuff. And that, that sound became everywhere. Yep. So um, we got Mark Jordan. We all know Margarita. So his next album was then 1987. So Margarita was 1983. This is I Ching from the Talking uh, Through Pictures album, 1987. Listen how different this is. So, I mean, it's still Mark Jordan. The songwriting is all there. The voice is still there. But we're fundamentally in a completely oh, yeah. different area just a couple years later. Uh, Kenny Loggins, High Adventure, Heart to Heart is an absolute essential one, right? I've heard That's of that song. Essential yeah. song. Mm -hmm. But what about the first track from his very next album, Vox Humana? Sounds like Art of Noise. Suddenly he's gone nuts <laughs> with the sampler, what yep. we were just talking about, right? right. Uh, Michael McDonald, we know, know it, keep forgetting, I keep forgetting sounds like, right? Right. I mean, that's just a classic. But then his next album, No Looking Back, from 1985. And here's the title track. Remind me which Rocky movie for which that was used as the montage for him working out. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Boz Skaggs, 1980, was middleman, but by 1988, he was on to the Other Roads album, and here is Heart of Mind, Without a Roads. 
chimey, 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 huh? Yep. And bright. Yeah, and bright. Uh, last one. Gino Vanelli, Nightwalker mm. album, had Living Inside Myself. So that is very much of a yachty texture if, if the song isn't entirely yachty. So that was uh, 1981. Where was he by 1985? Black Cars. I always have to check myself. Is that the same Gino Vanelli? Yes. Or do I just I, I not know. remembering it right? I know. It is. It is. Well, so that just shows you what the two sides of that uh, point sound like yep and unfortunately we didn't we could have spent all day talking about you mentioned the minnesota sound right yeah but just the, the how mainstream like r&b was becoming a big part of what pop music was at that point too is another mm-hmm. game changer mm-hmm. right in I think, and r&b was being made differently than r&b of the 70s was so yes. that's kind I of i guess the that's point. kind of how yeah. it evolved was totally right. yep well i don't know if we figured out exactly why the yacht sank but i think uh digital it digital. I think uh, <laughs> pop culture changes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a good call on the video thing. I wasn't even thinking in that genre. I was completely thinking about how did you make music in the studio, and you were looking at it from a cultural standpoint. So that's yeah. why we do this from two yep. different perspectives. Also, because I don't know anything about being in the studio. Lucky. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, uh, let's move on to our lightning round. So we've got a new feature to the lightning round. We do. And that is called the Supersonic Smash-Up. <laughs> <laughs> you put this together. I did. And we're going to have a contest on Facebook for whoever wants to participate. I am going to award a free item out of our Yacht Rock gear store. Nice. To... Um, to the first person who correctly identifies the songs. So tell us what you put together. It's six songs. So it's a six pack and they're very tiny snippets. These are all yacht certified songs in this case. Okay. May not be that way every week, but it is this time. And so we are going to, we're looking for the first person you identify in order the song and the artist of these six. So give this a quick listen. All right, let me hit it one more time. All right. You want to hear it again? Yes, I do. All right, here we go. All right, so there you go. But you're also going to put this up on Facebook that people can go there and click and re-trigger it as many times as they want. Is that correct? Yep. So look for it in the uh, comments to the post where we published the podcast episode yeah i'll put this in the comments and then people can reply to that comment with their guesses all right so that makes sense so play one more time yep there you go supersonic smash up yeah, and then of course up. that audio file will be there for you to play it over and over right. and over again right all right um that may change i may post it as its own post but we'll we'll figure we'll it see. out but yep. either way first it, person to get all six right in order in order uh, and then con- we'll, we'll, she will contact Spelling you. Spelling counts. It does. <laughs> All right. Well, 
Um, we talked about the yacht sinking. Yeah. Let's get that boat floating again for okay. the first uh, episode of 2022. First. All right. I thought we had discussed this song, but okay. I went into our playlist and it was not there. Mm-hmm. And it just came up on a shuffle the other day. What are your feelings on How About Us by Champagne? Does that float your boat as a yacht rock tune? Some people are made for each other. Some people can love one another for life. How about us? Some people can hold it together. Close but not quite. No cigar um, there. To, it's a like a soft R and B thing. Um, I suppose I, you know, if I invested and really kind of dug in and listened to it, it might change my mind. But without giving it a listen and a study, I would say almost, but not quite. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm a soft yes. Okay. Um, could be just by prior association because I've been brainwashed into it. It does have a certain amount of shuffle to mm-hmm. it, groove. Yeah. Hmm. Got some instrumentation too. Anyways, um, okay, what do you got for Does It Float Your Boat? Well, this is kind of part of the exercise that we just did. And if I were to tell you that I had an Al Jarreau song that was written by, well, co written at least by Jay Graydon, I believe Jay Graydon produced it. Uh, It's got a halftime shuffle. Mm -hmm. Would I need to go any further? I'd say it's, yeah, floats my boat. But, But (laughs) (laughs) yes, but it's from 1986. And the halftime shuffle is on a drum machine. Oh, jeez. And here's what it sounds. Sacrilege. It's already know your answer. Too digital. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. That's, that's, that kind of makes the point right there that seemingly all the elements are there, but no, they're not really. Okay, so that sonic change is enough to yeah. be known. I'm going to stick with Al Jarreau for my buried treasure. Okay. This is a buried treasure, and this does come from the post-yacht era, just barely. You already mentioned the album, the High Crime album mm-hmm. from Al Jarreau, and this is a ballad. It's So it's not really a yacht rock song, but... Because within this context, what we're talking about today, it's probably the last really great hit that Al had. You're stealing um, mine. Well, we might as well start 2022 off like a smash. Here's After All. Well, yeah, you did steal it. That was mine, after all. That was one of those songs that I was like, oh my God, I've been listening to nothing but Yacht Rock for three years, and I, again, maybe it's too ballady, but it's like... And it's just outside of the era, so yeah, it's off the radar. It is definitely but, too ballady to be a Yacht Rock song, but most, you know, my list is, you know, highly loose on the edges at times, yeah. so... Yeah, okay, cool. Well, I'll allow it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I had a quick couple notes on that one. It was... Um, it, it includes Jay Graydon playing on it, David Foster's playing on it, Mike Baird on drums, Robbie Buchanan, written by Jerome Graydon and Foster. I mean, we're talking 
yeah. high-end people yeah, the fact, that, that pulls in Foster, too. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. All right. Well, here's my buried treasure. And I spent much of my COVID break, uh, holiday break, that is, um, listening to Eric Tag. Mm. Eric Tag. That's I mean, cool. I think that what a singer. Yeah, and I, I would say that the hardcore among our Facebook group, they all know Eric Tag. But oh, yeah. if, if you're just kind of a casual fan, Eric Tag, did he come to fame by working with Lee Rittenauer? That's how I became to know him. But, yeah. Um, so he's saying a lot of vocals and he co-wrote with Lee Rittenauer. Yeah, like Mr. Briefcase and Is It You and all that stuff. Yeah. But he also had a solo career. And if I were to tell you to go to listen to an Eric Tag record, I would say 1982's Dreamwalking. However, it's not on Spotify, so we can't add it to our playlist. Right. The only thing I can... It's not even on YouTube Music. It's on... Somebody put uploaded the whole album in a video. So, But that's worth listening to. So the personnel... Are you familiar with the personnel on that? Ava Boreal and John Robinson and... Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Greg Matheson, Nathan East, uh, Chuck Finley, Lee Rittenauer himself, Tom Scott, David Foster, David Hungate. I mean, geez, oh, Pete's. So yeah. I'm going to go to his 1977 album, though. Rendezvous. Okay. Picking something slightly at random. I'm just going to pick the first tune right off of it, grabs you right away. And that's called Got to Be Loving You. Yeah, that's the same album that has Living of the Love. I think it's misspelled that's Living Off the Love. Okay, that, Living of the Love. Is that a Spotify typo or an album I think the typo. whole album is titled that way. Oh, I, I, I think I looked it up one time to see if I could find a screen grab. <laughs> that's a good record, though. Not as good as Dreamwalking, in my no, it opinion, is not. but no. it's a good record. And not quite as uh, personality. Uh, you've got, you know, his brother, Larry Tag, is the bassist. Oh. And collaborates with quite often. Um, not a ton of super yachty personnel on that one wow really sort of proto maybe yeah um no one that i know hmm okay so I'm glad you brought it up then yeah all right just delete that <laughs> <laughs> i think i brought it up because i was it sounds yachty but i was surprised yeah. that there's no personnel it in it. as he goes along he gets more and more of the personnel involved including jeff Picaro. but anyways go ahead oh is it my turn for off the map, yeah. He's off the map. All right. Um, we made an executive decision to take off the map even farther off the map this year. Yeah, we thought that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be. We, we had framed it in the past as a song that we don't know isn't Yacht Rock but might fit well in a Yacht Rock playlist. Well, we've decided to say, you know what, there's songs that relate to this era that we want to talk about that aren't necessarily Yachty or belong in a Yacht Rock playlist, but we still think they're important for topics of conversation. So we decided to open up the Off the Map to anything like that. Yep, and I'm going to kind of do both that and stick to our traditional guns. me too. uh, Because we got a submission from listener Jonathan back in 2021 that I just haven't gotten to yet. Okay. And he recommended, he was getting into Tom Mish, you know him? Mm -hmm. He's a contemporary artist that's kind of Yachty. Yeah. Um, And he wanted to suggest for an Off the Map, a pretty good tune here. It's called I Wish. It's from a 2016 EP called Reverie, and here is Jonathan's Off the Map. When you go, you go, you go, I'm a sun in the sky. 
Got some groove to it. Got yep. Some, some summer groove to it, whether it's Yachty, but that's a good submission. I like that. Yeah. It's good. Very chill. Very chill. Yeah. All right. My uh, my off the map is um, I was listening to Chicago 17 Foster production. And by the way, as an aside, we both watched the Foster oh. uh, documentary on Netflix called On the Record. Is it On the is Record or, or Off the, the record? record? It's one of those two. It's so good. Go watch it. Just, just go watch it. If you've got Netflix and you're interested in music and what you expect from David Foster, uh, just the stories that they tell and the, the, the way that he comes across, the, 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 just the, you know, it's not what I expected no. at all. So it's in, compelling in a television. good way. Very, that's it, compelling. Bit. And I'm glad you brought it up during the uh, off the map because they don't really cover much of the Yacht Rock era of his career. No. Um, they touch on that time period, but not, none of the Yacht Rock Yeah, stuff. and they reference like the Chicago era, which yes. you know, they were still a little salty about that, weren't they? <laughs> they were, and yeah. I'll just say I'm not the one who invented evil David Foster. I know. Uh, and you'll see why if you watch that. Yeah. But this was, um, there was a, a bonus track that was added on Spotify uh, playlist of uh, Chicago 17. And it's clearly in its demo stage. And whether it was uh, a demo that Foster had worked up or this was a demo that Robert Lamb was preparing to submit to Foster. Because Foster said in that thing about when he took over for Chicago 16, said first thing I had to tell him was that all the songs they had written for this album stunk. All of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> they threw them all, he threw them all away. So maybe this was uh, Lamb's attempt to kind of submit something to Foster that would be uh, fit. And he was co-writing it with a certain David Pack. I heard of him. Who also um, duets with him on this song. Ooh. So this was a bonus cut. Clearly not done, but it's called Here's Where We Begin. Tell you anytime you can find uh, like a David Pack collab or solo project yeah. that you hadn't heard before, that's like finding buried gold. I never heard anything about David Pack connecting to Chicago in any way and writing with Lamb. So that was kind of a fun discovery, even though the song isn't really complete enough to yeah. totally evaluate. His vocal's complete though. That's it probably is. just a reference track for oh, him. Oh, I know. It's just him. Let me let me just blaze this down and we'll worry about it later. Yeah. Well, the yacht may have sank, but it uh, it got uh, pulled. To the surface yeah, once yes. again. The wreckage has been rescued. Over the yeah. years, and we're going to talk about that in 2022, yep. how it never really sank, which is part of my Jay Graydon exploration, which we'll get back to. Okay. So for that, episode one, uh, we can pick up there next week. I think that sounds like a good idea. Ahoy. Ahoy. All right, we'll do it. <laughs> I thought you forgot. Yeah.